Thank you for joining us on the Anchor Conversations podcast, where we are bringing your Sunday into your weekday. Our goal is to invite you into the conversation that's happening when we're preaching on Sunday mornings by giving you an opportunity to ask questions and to continue to interact with the text through this podcast. Let's get started. Well, welcome to the Anchor Conversations podcast. This is Tyler, one of the pastors at Anchor Church, here with our uh, highly esteemed uh, lead pastor, Jason. Yeah, Jason, thanks for joining. <laughs> Jason is the one who just uh, who just Tyler Tyler just says, "All right, you ready? Let's do it." Start it, and as soon as he started, I'm like, "Hey, wait a second. So anyway, this is our second take at trying to start this thing. So yeah, but yeah it's okay. Here I am. It'll be edited. It'll be edited <laughs> out. And when I say highly esteemed, I mean by by your dogs. They both esteem you highly. Hey, you know, honestly, you may hear them because um, they're actually in the room with me. So if there's loud barking going on, that's that's why. That's what your mute button's for. Um, all right. So the sermon this week, uh, we were continuing our Who Then Is This series of the book of Mark. Jason preached from Mark 2, 13 through 3, 6, uh, with the big idea being that Jesus requires your whole heart of worship. And as you preach through the sermon, you kind of took it in four reels, so to speak, kind of thinking like uh, Instagram reels or some other social media platform reels that I'm not aware of. Um, And we saw these reels of Jesus ministry and uh, how people responded to him, some in total worship, some quite honestly in total disdain. Uh, So we saw the calling of Levi We saw these questions about fasting and then Jesus disciples in the grain fields on the Sabbath and challenges surrounding that. And then Jesus healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath as well and and being challenged there. And and again, just seeing how people responded to him. Uh, So to kick us off today, Jason, in this conversation, um, what's at stake if we only give Jesus part of ourselves? Yeah, I mean, I I think... The, the thing that the thing that automatically comes to mind and I I was trying to think through this as we were as I was preparing the, the sermons one of the questions we we like to ask in terms of sermon prep at anchor so I think other I'm sure other people do that but we like to ask hey what's at stake for you and for us as Christians um I really think the 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 shortest answer that I could give is that Jesus just isn't big enough I think what's at stake if we if we hold things back, you know, if we like, if we continue to grab onto things and almost smuggle them into our Christian lives, you know, so that we're not giving him our whole heart, we we have some that uh, some things back. It obscures our view of him, and he's just not big enough. I, I really think that that's the the shortest answer that I can have, and that might sound trite to you, like, oh, that's a dumb answer, um, but it's not because the whole point of being a Christian and to following Jesus is to see him as the, you know, grand and great and, um, amazing and, and glorious and worthy of worship, actually, actually worthy of giving things up for, you know, if Jesus is small in our eyes, then why would I, why would I want to give him this part of my life? Why would I want to change that? He, he has to grow in his grandeur and greatness for who he is. And so I, I would say that that's, that's the shortest way I can say it, I think. Yeah, I think it's an important point to make, too, because, you know, John tells us that Jesus came into the world. The one who created the world came into it, and even his own people didn't receive him. Well, why? Because they didn't see him. They didn't see him for who he was. So so it's important that we get these things. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so let's get into the questions that were sent in. I want to start with what you actually left out. So you uh, had, uh, <laughs> as you were preaching, uh, you had, I know. I, you, <laughs> you had mentioned that I you said were I wasn't going to leave questions. it out either, too. I said that I said that like, hey, I'm going to come back to this. We always we always ditch this. We always leave it out. And then I left it out. Sorry, go ahead. I, I cut you off. No, that's fine. It's actually really funny. That's what this podcast is for is to say, hey, whoops, I missed that. <laughs> Let me tie up that loose end. Um, and so we did have someone text in and, and ask you to explain verses 21 and 22 about the garments and the wineskins and, and how we should understand those pictures. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is the, the person I'm sure, um, who takes copious notes and who probably like put a asterisk there and said, he's going to come back to this. I was like, wait, why did you not come back to this? I, I do apologize if that was you out there that you're like, Hey, he never talked about this. Cause it. <laughs> I was just in my notes and then I was like looking at the time going, I got to start wrapping up. And I just ditched it. Anyway, all to say there is this weird section in this text um, where he's talking about these wineskins. You know, Jesus is talking about um, fasting. And then all of a sudden he switches to, um, you know, well, he talks about wedding language. So, you know, the groom, you're not going to, you're not going to fast while the groom is present, you know, but when he's gone, he will be gone. When he's gone, then you can fast in those days. And he starts talking about wineskins and not putting new wine in old wineskins. And then he's talking about how you don't take a, a garment and you, you don't take a, a new patch and put it on an old, you know, pair of pants. I didn't have pants back then, but whatever, whatever it was, you know, whatever you're putting it on um, and a tunic, I guess. And, um, and so my dogs are making noises. Sorry if you can hear them in the background. Um, and so he's just, he's trying to make that. And it seems odd. Here's what he's trying to say, especially related to the question on fasting. You know, these, these ideas of cultural norms in particular, this cultural understanding traditions, especially of the scribes and Pharisees who were, who were anticipating Jesus coming and were looking for the Messiah and they didn't see him. And we're still holding on to these things of anticipation when they should have been rejoicing in the moment, worshiping him, Jesus starts to make a, a connection and a correlation between, not necessarily be, between um, the idea of fasting. I don't know if it's, it's not really of that idea of fasting because there is commands to fast and we, and we should, we've done it as a church. It's more about saying there are things that are old that our people are going to bring in to this whole idea of um, who God is and the Messiah coming in this old understanding that will be revealed in the person of Jesus. He's there that they aren't going to want to accept. And, and if they, if they do, what they're going to try and do is they're going to try and take the old things before the Messiah was here and just put Jesus over top of them to see if they can mesh both of those things together and he's saying, not, not only can you not take the old and put something new on it, but if you do, if you take the old and put something new on it, it will damage the old. Like it's going to, it's going to rip it. So notice that the, the problem with the wineskins is that an old, an old, I, I don't, I, this is what I read in commentaries. All right. So I, this is where I'm getting this from. I'm not this smart off the top of my head, but when you have wine, old wine, I'm sorry, old wineskins, they're, they become a little brittle. It's like leather, you know, they become something that's not. It's not super sturdy. It's not like a new one. It's their old. And if you put new wine into it, it ferments 
to the point where it'll actually burst the old wines because it destroys it. Same with the same with the, the garments and the cloth. Like if you take an old cloth and put an unshrunk piece of new cloth over top of it and sew it together and wash it, that new one's going to shrink and it with it, it's going to tear apart that old piece. So Jesus is saying, you can't take me, the Messiah, me, God, I'm bringing in some new things here. And, and he will, he'll change a lot of old traditions, like what they can eat. He's going to, he's going to change a lot of stuff, but you can't take your old traditions. Um, and I'm not, again, I'm not, I want to make it really clear because it can sound like I'm saying, Jesus is saying, don't even follow the old Testament. That's not what he's saying, or don't even do the law. He's not saying that he's saying you, you have this, this pre-messianic understanding and your traditions with it. Like you can't fast or what you should do on the Sabbath or how you should be thinking about these things that really have nothing to do with the heart of what the old Testament's even saying They're They've, they've become these like to-do lists. And he's saying, you can't take that and put me over top of it. I will not fit there. You have to remove the old and bring in the new. You have to bring new things in with the new. You can't, you can't mix the two things together is what he's saying. And I think where I was going to try and bring that in, just in case anybody cares, where I was going to try and bring that in, um, was when I was talking about answering that question, I just answered, Jesus is too small. Like he's, we see him as too small and we can also carry with us some of these old traditions and these old things in Christian life that, um, diminishes him. It actually makes him smaller than he should be in our eyes. And, um, we don't see his character the way that it should be because we're so focused on these other things and to try and to try and wipe them out. So that that's, thanks for following up on that, Tyler. That's, that's what I was going to say on Sunday. I'm glad I got to say it now. Well, I'm glad that you're an expert on wineskins because we were all lost. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And wine. Um, and apparently, apparently things like shrinking cloths and, um, you do, you do so quite a bit. I, yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, I, I, um, I don't even know how to lie about that. No, I don't. I have no idea how to sew <laughs> anything. Like I destroyed even before I sewed anything on it. So, yeah, no, I think it's a, it's an important, it's one of those parts of the Bible that's confusing, but it's important to get, you know, the, just the simple principle that Jesus is going to come in and he's got to be the center. He's got to just, it, it's all about him. It, it focuses on him. Um, and so I guess that's the the simple summary of, of your expert analysis there. Yeah, good. <laughs> you should just cut out what I said and you can say what you said. I, I do think t- t- a 10 second quick rejoinder on that though would be anytime we get to stuff like that in the Bible where you're, if you're reading your Bible and there's something so confusing, like you're like, what is going on? It, it's going to happen a lot because there's pulling in old Testament, especially in the new Testament, pulling in old Testament things. You might go, I don't know what that means. Use your cross references. Like your, your Bible cross references are there for that. Use them. If you don't know how to study the Bible, it's the, it's the number one, in my mind, the number one easiest way to begin studying your Bibles. You know, your cross references are there on the side. It usually has a little number or a letter, like a small little a next to it or something like that. You just trace it over. If you have a phone app or something, you can usually just tap it and it'll bring it up. But just to cross reference and go, what, what is he referencing? And it's, and you can, you can make some of those connections to yourself too. Yeah, that's good. Um, and, and we actually had another question sent in uh, along similar lines as far as just, you know, confusion in the text. Um, and it was this idea of uh, why does the text say Levi and not Matthew? You had mentioned hmm. that when it when it says Levi, that's actually Matthew. Uh, how do you know it's actually Matthew? It was a it was a guess. I mean, I just took a shot in the dark on that. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. That's not true. Um, 
so so it has to do with trying to to be like a little bit of an inductive bible study reader so and again this is not original with me this is this is like thousands of years of of people studying the scriptures to, to see it but really the, the the bottom line is um when you see the accounts in luke and mark he's there's this calling of levi the tax collector and levi the tax collector um is never seen in any of the disciples lists uh there's no levi the tax collector there is a matthew the tax collector and um in especially in matthew matthew actually calls himself Matthew. There is no calling of Levi in Matthew. It's interesting. Ma Matthew doesn't even reference the calling of Levi. The, the only the only disciples he calls, he, he references calling are John and James. Um, after that, it just goes to the Sermon on the Mount. And so it's, then he, then he goes Levi and, and he goes Matthew. So, so th there's that connection of like, okay, so I wonder if there's this tax collector Jesus calls, like he did the other ones, Peter and um, John and you know, he's calling these people, uh, to, to account. And then, and then you have, um, yeah, then you just have him call himself Matthew. It's also not uncommon in, in this time to have two names, Simon, Peter, we hear, we see, um, Thomas Didymus, you know, as they're talking about like, a couple different names, Paul and Saul are the same. So like, sometimes it's, sometimes it's two Semitic names. Um, again, co the commentary I'm reading, I'm reading a, a, a really good commentary um, on Mark right now. And so he, he was just talking about like some of it, sometimes it's Semitic, two Semitic names, Simon, Peter. Sometimes um, sometimes it's a Semitic name, like a Jewish name and a Greek name that they reference. So, so maybe, again, I, I would assume that it would be Levi would be the the Hebrew name and Matthew, I think, would probably be more of a, a Greek name, I'm, I'm assuming. So anyway, th there's just that connection. So when you look at it, you're like, you put it all together. You're like, there is no Levi and the disciples, but this guy is a disciple. He was called that way. He must, there's only one other tax collector mentioned. It's Matthew. So it, they must be the same, the same person. Yeah, that's good. Thanks for spelling that out. And I, yeah, just as a side note on that whole question, I, I think it's great to ask those questions of the Bible because you'll, you'll find the answers um, usually, and if you can't find them, you know, ask someone to help you, but, uh, it just helps strengthen your understanding of, uh, not just the, the scriptures, but also just the world that the Bible was written in, uh, which I think then helps you understand other parts of the Bible. Um, yeah. so those are good questions to ask. Sure. Ask, ask your questions of the Bible. Cause it can, it can stand up under them. So don't be afraid of that. That's, that's faith. That's a little bit of faith in action at that time. You're just like, all right, Lord, let me, what does this mean? And how do I think through this? Perfect. Great. Yeah, that's good. Um, all right. So you spoke uh, in your sermon about being able to let things go. And I have a general question that was sent in about that. And then I have a couple of personal ones that I wrote down as you were preaching that I'd love to hear you speak to. So we're going to get personal today. Uh, but just in general, what are some religious activities that you feel like the church, I'm guessing this is capital C church, universal, but maybe Anchor Church in particular, I don't know uh, what they had in mind. Um, but what are some religious activities that the church needs to let go of to better see Jesus? Kind of like the Pharisees needed to let go of those old wineskins, those laws that they were were holding on onto so tightly. Um, yeah, I I feel like this is one of those questions where I'm like, oh, okay, um, is this going to get me in trouble? Like, how am I going to think through this? Um, I would say generally speaking, so I'll try to avoid that. That's what I'm saying. Um, generally speaking, I would just first say, 
in terms of the church, capital C, I'll, I'll reference the church, not, not anchor. I'll say globally. Um, I don't think there's anything really new under the sun. Like, I don't, I don't think we have a ton of new innovative ways to do this. I think that you, in a large, in a large way, anything related to legalism. So bringing in good works to somehow become more godly and saved. I mean, we see that in Galatians, you know, he's, who had Paul, who has bewitched you, you know, before whose very eyes, Jesus Christ was, was seen as crucified. And yet you're going back saying that you have to get circumcised again to, so we can, I mean, we might be able to do that in things like, you know, maybe with baptism, like, Hey, you're not saved until you get baptized. Um, you know, I, I'm just, that's a generalization, but it could go anything to like people putting on yokes on our backs of things that maybe we, we just need to be, be careful of like, like not, you know, you, you have to be cleaned up before you come into a church. You, you can't, I mean, I mean, honestly, th I think that one of the ways that this plays itself out is having categories of people that are unwelcome because of what the perception of what their life is, not that they don't need to be discipled and they need to change their life, you know? So you, so we might say, you know, you have, um, maybe a, a heterosexual couple that comes in unmarried, you know, looking to find some, you know, find a, a church home. Um, maybe they're not Christians, you know, let's just say they're not Christians and they come in and, um, you know, I think we'd be pretty patient there. Cause they're like, no, 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 this is, you know, it's some normal and, and, you know, we can disciple them in this. I mean, that we just see that they Jesus preach the gospel to them and have that. But if a, if a homosexual couple came in and weren't Christians and wanted to hear, um, you know, the gospel and didn't know, I, I just, there's this weird barrier, you know? And I think that, I think that again, it goes back to if a heterosexual couple came in, weren't Christians, let's say they get saved. The discipleship part would be like, Hey, here's some steps, you know, some thoughts as we go forward. And I think we'd be patient, help them walk through it and things like that. I think it, I think it's gotta be the same with a, with a couple that is same sex attracted where you say you need Jesus first and foremost. But the problem is I think with a lot of the church in a, in a way you're keeping people out of the building and you're keeping people out of the church because of a perception of dirtiness or grossness that we would, you know, maybe look at. And it's like, no, what, what are we doing? Like, that's, that's not how, you know, there's discipleship, sure, but like, we got to be thinking through that. So I think that somehow, like, we, we put these yokes and barriers on people before they can even hear the gospel, which I think is something that we need to be careful of, because that, that, that is, a, that makes for a church that is not a, not a, um, a lighthouse. Like, if we're, if we're a light, if we're called to be a lighthouse, city on a hill, it says, you know, we're, we're a city on a hill, like a beacon for people come. Jesus even said it in this passage this week, I didn't come to, for this, for the well, I, you know, for the healthy, I came for the sick. Like that's what is, so what, like there's people. And again, that's just an example, but there's a lot of people that we'd say, Hey, you know, this person, you know, hasn't taken a shower in like four weeks. He's kind of stinky because he's a homeless guy. Let's keep him out of here. He's looks dangerous. You know, we go, ah, he want the guy in the building. Well, I mean, the church should be a, a, in my mind, the church should be an emergency room. Like I, I think we got a hospital situation and we want, we have, we have what they need, which is Jesus. It's the greatest need of every single image bearer. And so we want them to hear the gospel. And then, and then as they are transformed, they go from being like, like Saul, a, a murderer of Christians to a defender of Christians 
and one who hated Jesus to one who loves Jesus. And then we say, okay, great. Like, how do we navigate that, right? As pastors and as, and as church members. So I would say there's one, there's one, the other one would just be absolute, like, like, um, you know, free reign to do anything on that's not the Bible. Like, I think we just go, I want to hold on to my, my preferences. And I'm going to, you know, you know, I don't care what the Bible says because love means that anything goes and we got to, and I think that's another, that's the opposite end of the spectrum, which would be like, well, there, there are biblical things we have to hold on to and call people to and call people to account on and like disciple people through and walk through. So both of those things, I think are things we need to, you know, we need to continue to move out of the church, large scale legalism. You can't play, you know, you can't play cards. You can't go to movie theaters. You, you know, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't eat this. You can't to do whatever you want. There are no rules. No, there, there are, the Bible is clear. There's moral commands from the Lord that Jesus upholds. I don't know. Does that, I don't know, man. What do you, what do you think about that? Is that, does that answer that question? Yeah, I think you did. Yeah. What you said, makes sense um yeah i'll speak to that just real briefly i think that there's and maybe this hits some of the stuff you talked about but there's a a broader issue that leads to another issue that i think um they're connected though they might not seem like it which is that we can be really tribe tribal in our thinking and and that's a yeah that's a religious activity that i think just haunts the church where we, we get into these echo chambers and uh, what it leads to is actually, you wouldn't think it does, but what it leads to is individualism. Because if anyone doesn't check your tribal boxes, you can just kick them out of your thought processes and out of your community and whatever you want. And both of those things, being tribal and being individualistic, are not Christian virtues. <laughs> so the, yeah. the church of God is is diverse and it's from every tribe and tongue. And and there's so much in in the Bible uh, and in theology and in in even you know social um, uh, philosophies that we think about that are just secondary issues that we don't that, that aren't clear, um, but we can benefit from each other in so many ways, even if we differ on some of the secondary things. Uh, and, and the more that we do that, the less individualistic we'll be because we'll be brought into the broader community of the church, which is what God's calling us to. And I, I think that's important. I think it's important to, you know, if you read books to read widely, if you listen to people to listen widely, to not be afraid of people whose views might be different than yours, uh, because you can take good things and contribute good things and you don't have to agree on everything. Uh, and the more we do that, I think the more we can find what does love mean, love of neighbor mean, um, because we're not going to make people the enemy. That Yeah, I, th- I think there's some churches, honestly, like as we think about how the church views, churches view one another. We view each other more as cousins and less as siblings, but the Mm. Bible calls us siblings. Mm. So there's a lot of people that, you know, in the Christian life that you may say, yeah, I mean, I guess they're probably Christians, but I disagree with them so radically that I would never actually treat them like family. It's kind of like your cousin who you're like, yeah, he's weird, but I guess he's related. Uh, Whereas I think the, the, the vision Jesus has for us is brother and sister, even when we disagree. Mm, yeah, that's good. It, it goes back to Ephesians 2 and 3 too about, you know, Jesus himself breaks the dividing wall. So like if you if you have people in especially in like, I don't know, like this culture here that we're talking about in Matthew, I'm sorry, that we're talking about in, um, in Mark, um, that are coming from different places, eventually, like this gospel preached this kingdom coming, Jesus is going to die and raise 
uh, raised from the dead. And then all of a sudden you have this church that begins that has both Jew and Gentile in it, different backgrounds. He's saying the dividing wall of hostility between two groups of people is broken down in the person of Jesus. And here's why he became big enough. Like all that, all of that stuff just starts to strip away and it doesn't matter. I think the problem is like we, it just matters too much to people. Like at this point, like, like politics matters too much to people. Um, you know, we can, we can love it and be a politics, you know, you know, we politics pundit and all that stuff. But if that's our identity and Jesus isn't, then what's going to happen is we will divide ourselves. But if we, but if we say no, the, the dividing, like the dividing line is it's, it, it's gone because the one thing that holds us all together is that we are, um, we are brother, we're brothers and sisters of Jesus. The Bible says, sounds like heresy, but the Bible says that like we're because he, God's our father and we have this, you know, he's the firstborn of, of all of us. Like he rose from the dead first, like in this way. And so we, we, we want to make sure that we understand that he breaks all that down. And so, um, the last thing I'll say is on that, on that point is that we may not be diverse from in an, in a, in a fully ethnic sense, meaning we don't have the whole, all the nations gathered at anchor church. We live in Gilbert, right? So it's, you know, we have, we have multiple ethnicities and I pray that we get more ethnicities because I think it represents the kingdom. Um, but we may never be like an inner city church that just has like, you know, 15 or 20 different, you know, ethnicities in it. Um, but, but diversity doesn't, doesn't always mean just ethnicity. Diversity can mean different political opinions and, and different upbringings and different sports, sports teams you like, and, you know, uh, different, um, socioeconomic backgrounds and, you know, uh, single people and married people, and there's going to be probably some divorced people and children. And so we have this diversity in us that Jesus breaks down any dividing wall, even in those, um, lines. And if we divide over something like politics or, or other things that we hold on to, I just think we have bigger problems because Jesus just isn't big enough for us. We, we just haven't seen him as big enough. So that's the, yeah, that's the last thing I say on that. Yeah, that's good. We'll leave it there. All right. So let's get personal. What are some things that you've had to let go of? Um, I think this, I the understanding an idea of like, I'm right. I'm right. Everybody else is wrong. You know, I, I think I had a, I think I had a little bit of a, a proud orthodoxy. I still believe strongly in my, in, in my, um, theological, you know, underpinnings, like nothing's changed in that. But I think that, you know, I used to have this understanding that, Hey, if, if somebody doesn't necessarily agree with what I'm, where I'm coming from and what I'm doing, then I like under undergirding my thought would be, I just don't know. Maybe they just don't really understand who Jesus is. Like maybe they're just not Christians. And I've just come to understand that you know, there's people that disagree with me on set, mainly on secondary issues, like not, not things like, you know, um, Jesus being, being God. And, you know, the, the main ones, um, we're here. I'm talking like evangelicalism, you know, pe people that would kind of be, um, you know, e understanding who we are and things like that. We might be in different tribes, but you know, th thing, things, you know, how they preach, this is dumb stuff, but like how they preach, um, is there smoke on the stage during worship? You know, stuff that I used to go like, I just don't think they get, they understand the gospel. Like, I think that they have, and I've had to really go, you know, I, I just don't know if that just seems like a form to me. Like, it seems like I have this preference. Um, 
that's changing, you know, I think that I used to feel like I was stuck in a, a little bit of a rut, you know, I, I can't read this book. I remember, I remember we were at one point, um, feeling like it was, it was a sin for me to, um, to read or watch, um, no country for old men as a movie, you know, I just felt like I was violent. I don't, I didn't really know what it was about, but I remember talking to some, some Christians that were, that were definitely in our tribe and, and they were going around going, what's your favorite book? And one of them said, no country for old men. And I went, wait a second, hang on. I, it, it actually, it changed my mentality. I went, okay, why? Like, tell me why. And he gave me his reasons. I was like that, those are compelling reasons. That book sounds like it's super interesting. And so I think that kind of stuff too, like this, um, this, you know, do's and don'ts, bringing some of that in and how I, you know, wisdom plays a part. So I, there's things I still won't watch and, you know, because of it's, it affects me differently, but, you know, putting that on other people. And so I think there's some of that, there's some, like, even, even some things like, um, I've had to really let go of social media a lot over the last six months, um, even over the last four weeks, um, because there were some things that were, were on there in the Christian circles that were just, it was like outrage culture, mob mentality. And I, it just makes me angry. Like I, so I get caught up in that and I can take offenses and I can, then I, it affects me and I gotta, you know, I start judging and, and I just, I've had to say, yeah, I just think that this is obscuring my vision of who, of Jesus. Like, I think this is just getting in the way. I, I don't, I don't want that to be the case. And that those are, those are small examples, but those are real examples for me. I mean, I think I just had to undercut some of that stuff and say, am I reformed? Yeah. Um, do I think that other people that aren't reformed are idiots that aren't Christians? No. Was there a time I did? Probably in my younger, my younger reformed, you know, theological days where I just feel like, oh man, you're missing it. You're missing Jesus. I don't know if you really understand the gospel. And you guys, now it's like, you know, that's, that's a system to understand my Bible properly. And, um, and I still want to, I still see it that way. I still love, you know, the, the theology of, of how I'm looking at atonement and things. And, um, but at the same time, I have good friends that would have some differences in how they read the Bible, no less vigorously reading the Bible and studying it. Um, they just come to some different conclusions on some things, which has happened for thousands of years. Um, and, um, and I think a humble orthodoxy is one that says, Hey, you know, I, I want to, I want charity to mark who I am um, and grace because I think that's what Jesus does. I think he brings us together and we're all going to get to heaven one day and go, he's going to say, yeah, you missed, I think you missed it on this. Your eschatology was slightly off, you know, or, or, you know, how you, how you're viewing it. And so I just realized, yeah, that's probably the case. And I just want to be a humble, a humble uh, pastor theologian, you know, as the best as I can. So anyway, those are some things. Yeah, that's good. I can definitely relate on the, um, you know, learning to let go of being a, a theological, you know, jerk, um, or stick in the mud. Um, yeah. And I'll share a couple too, you know, similarly with social media, um, I actually let that go completely back in like January. Um, and, and maybe people can relate to this, but just the, the stuff that's on there from just like an ungodliness perspective, <laughs> it was like, it was just weighing me down. And, you know, I, I, I mostly used social media to follow sports pages because that's really all I care about on some, something like that. <laughs> yeah, but what I yeah. found was with those algorithms, if you follow for every sports page you follow, they assume 
that you're a dude who's also looking for cheerleaders and other like scantily clad women. And so I just kept getting those suggestions every time I'd follow a sports page and I'd have to hide them and hide them and hide them until they go away. And eventually I just thought, why am I doing this? (laughs) What's Mm. the value of this? It Mm. is not helping me follow Jesus. I need to let this go. And, and uh, you kind of shared this on Sunday with like taking a fast and that's what I did was I fasted and I was like, I never want that again. I'm done with that. I don't want that. Yeah. that. Um, yeah. You know, that that was helpful. I even, Lindsay and I are both uh, participating in Lent this year, which we've never done, but we read some books on it and we wanted to kind of experience that. We went to a um, uh, Ash Wednesday service, which was great, mm-hmm. uh, which we should totally do. We can talk about that later. We should totally yeah. do one. Yeah, it was I'm, awesome. I'm, I'm open to it. I have some good friends, extra nine friends that do it and they love it. Yeah. So. Yeah. It was awesome. And then we've been doing Lent. And, and I remember just in the past thinking people were so silly for letting go of something like, oh, you're not going to have coffee or you're not going to have sugar. And then after reading about it and thinking about it, I gave up sugar for Lent. And it has been so helpful because you realize there's these little things that you run to instead of Jesus. Like I'm stressed. I just need some candy to feel better. And, and it, it highlights that aspect of your life and, and, and gives you an opportunity to let it go and, and run to Jesus instead. So uh, yeah. those are some recent, you know, personal things for me. That's good. And let me, let me just, let me just um, say one thing too, as a caveat here, those are things that God's working on in us. So, right. so there might be people listening that are thinking like, oh, social media, maybe I should get off social media. Well, listen, don't add a form. Don't add something to obscuring Jesus. Maybe that right. is something, but don't don't take what God's seeing in us or going to doing Lent or something like that, um, you know, as something that you feel like you feel guilty for not doing. Please don't do that. That is that is doing what we're trying to avoid doing. I'm not trying to put bricks in your backpack to make your load heavier to carry. Um, God is working on you where you are. The, the question that I would have for you is what, what is it? Where, where, where is it for you? Because there's, there's things that are obscuring your vision. What are they? And, um, I would just say like, continue to, to seek that out. Don't make it what God's working on in me or Tyler, make it what God's working on you. And likewise for us, we don't want to get to that form of judging anybody else that it, that for Tyler, for example, that, that isn't participating in Lent or is still on Instagram. Um, there, you know, that would be a form for Tyler. That'd be something where he's adding that to like, oh man, you're, you're missing it. We just, you see how easy it is. Like, it's just this legalism can hit us and we can become so like the Pharisees quickly and start adding things around to where we make it almost impossible to see Jesus anymore. It's like, it's like the churches that say, I, well, it's like, it's like some churches, I mentioned sitting on a hill earlier. Some churches don't function like a city on a hill in my mind. As I look at them, sometimes I just, it's grieving to me um, because there is a lack of, ch- of charity and grace. And it seems like what, what has to happen for somebody to be a part of that church is to um, make it through the fortress that they've built to defend truth, which I think defending truth is, is we have to, like we're, we're called to preach that and defend truth, but to defend it in such a way that we um, are, are making it impossible for people to come in or they feel ashamed about where they are. Like it's, it, it, it just enhances this tribe, which I just don't think, you know, and if you're going to get into the fortress, they're going to shoot arrows at you and you just have to dodge all the arrows and conform, you know, to everything um, their way and the way that it is. It feels so um, not filled with grace and charity and Jesus 
in my mind at, at times that it, 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 it's the opposite of a city on a hill, like a, a, a beacon for people to say, Hey, come, come here. You know, that city on a hill, come here. You see it come to us. It's more like stay out unless you're going to clean yourself up. And I, man, I just think we got to be careful with that. Yeah, that's good. And that's a good reminder to not add more of the form, even as you hear people share their different experiences of what God is doing. Um, and we are kind of at our time here. So I want to leave everyone uh, with the challenge to think about what are those things that God might be calling you to let go of, to see him as bigger and to see Jesus as more worthy. I want, I want to leave you actually with the two live it out points from this Sunday. If you haven't done this yet, uh, or even if you did on Sunday, revisit it now. Ask, where am I king-focused fo and where am I things-focused? And then fight to remove the things and cling to the king. Those were the live it out points this week. I want to encourage you, uh, everyone listening, to go and do that, to really uh, take that seriously. And not, again, to add form, not to add more things that we need to abide by, but to see Jesus bigger more worthy of praise. One thing I can promise you, uh, you do not see Jesus as big as he truly is, and neither do I. And mm. so hopefully we take that seriously, that there are things in our life that we just, we need to clear from our vision so that we can see Jesus for who he is uh, more clearly. Good. Agreed. Let's All do right. it. Well, let's go and hey, do that together then. This, this upcoming week um, on Sunday is Palm Sunday. And then we got Easter Sunday, so two weeks off of Mark, but we'll still do these yeah. um, to, to follow up on those sermons. But um, yeah, I'm looking forward to celebrating all that with everybody. So absolutely. Yeah. Can't wait for, for this Sunday, Palm Sunday. Yeah. All righty. Right, see you then. See everybody Sunday. Bye. Thank you for taking the time to join us today as we brought your Sunday into your weekday. Our hope and prayer is that you continue pressing into the Lord and applying the Bible to your life as you seek to honor Jesus as King. We'd encourage you to continue this conversation with God through reading the Word and praying, and to continue this conversation with other Christians at your anchor huddles and your anchor communities. We look forward to worshiping King Jesus with you this Sunday and to talking to you again on the podcast next week.